Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. Block Kansas City, how's it going? Come on. Hey, big news time right here. This is the second most decision that I, I have, or second biggest decision I have ever made in my entire life. Last Monday at about 1.41 p.m., I asked the love of my life, Madison Melma, to marry me. We got engaged. Let's go. Man, it was good. I think we got some pictures. Throw those pictures up there. That's it right there. We got another one. That's the shock. She's photo credits her sister. We were both crying. She, you could just tell that she was crying because of the mascara. Thankfully, you can't see that I was. But uh, yeah, guys, it was special. We can't wait to get married. Uh, and I want to share with you guys a little specific aspect of the proposal so that we can set up what we're talking about tonight. Uh, my plan was to promote at Shawnee Mission Park. So there's a great spot, fellas, if you need some recommendations, I can point you. Also, if you need a ring guy, uh, come talk to me because I got a great ring guy. I've always wanted to say that. You got a good ring guy. <laughs> so anyways, I had taken her out on a date. We had picked her up, or I picked her up in the morning. We'd gone and we had read at a uh, coffee shop and then we had gotten lunch at the Bristol, which is how I got her dressed up without tipping her off what was going on. She said that she was about 50% sure that it was going to happen. So I don't really know if I did a good job covering it up. Um, but after we were at lunch, we started driving to Shawnee Mission Park. And it was raining last Monday, if you guys remember that. And I was praying, I was like, God, you have been so good to me my whole life, and you have been even more good to me because of this girl, and I am just asking you for one more thing. I'm gonna keep asking for other things. But I'm like, I'm asking you for one thing right now, God. Let it stop raining, please. And what do you know, the rain stopped. And I was still nervous though, I ran a red light. Uh, can I say that on a recorded thing? Am I gonna get in trouble for that? I'll use that in my court case, I guess. Uh, but anyways, we get to Shawnee Mission Park, and I open the door for her, and it's at this point that I see something that causes me to be a little concerned. She gets out of the car, and underneath my rubber floor mat, I see a little bit of water on the passenger side of my RAV4. And I peel back the floor mat, and there is about an inch of standing water on the floor of my car. And I just look at that, and I'm like... And she's like, we should do something about this. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not a big deal. And we go and I propose. <laughs> Why? Because the news of asking her to marry me was so much more important than the bad news of realizing that something was wrong with my car. And I actually learned later on that my AC condenser, the hose to the, uh, the drainage hose, I don't know much about cars, uh, it had not only had a leak in it, but it was entirely disconnected. It was entirely broken off. And so all of the water from the AC condenser was running straight into the passenger side of my car. We got it all fixed and taken care of, but that was bad news, right? That was not good news. However, that bad news was far, far, far outweighed by the fact that I asked the love of my life to marry me that day. And I bring this up because as we're gonna be talking about this, uh, one, I'm excited about it, clearly, and uh, two, we're going to be looking at from some good news from Jesus' life. 
And in fact, this is what we call as Christians the good news is what we're going to be talking about. But for the news to be good, there has to be bad news as well as it pertains to this specific story. And it relates to being disconnected. It relates to brokenness. It relates to things not being the way that they should be, just like it was in my car. And here's the bad news. We're just going to hop right into it. Every single one of us are sinners who have sinned against a holy God. Every single one of us. And as a result of this, our relationship with God is cut off or broken and disconnected. And this leads to further brokenness in the world. And God's word teaches that he created this world to be perfect, but mankind has chosen sin, and we've introduced pain and death and brokenness into the world. And inside us, our sin causes things like anger, hatred, apathy, bitterness, greediness, distance from God and from others. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can all look in the mirror and see those things. And we zoom out a little bit and we can look at families and communities. And we see divorce and we see abuse. And we see division and we begin to realize, man, things are not the way that they should be. And then you zoom out and you look at the world and you see war and famine and death. And you realize things are not the way that it should be. The reality is is that the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. And this means that both physically there is death, people die, but also there's a spiritual death. There's separation from God. There's sin and brokenness in the world. And we see this play out in a world that doesn't know God and chooses evil over God. And every single one of us play a part in that. And again, this is heavy news, right? This is bad news. But just like the car situation compared to the love of my life, I promise we're going to get good news tonight. We are going to find good news. Our goal is that after we dig into this bad news for a little while, our goal is that everyone would leave here more joyful because of the most life-changing good news imaginable. So tonight, as we're finishing our series, Jesus' Greatest Hits, it's only fitting, right, that we close with the pinnacle story of Jesus' life. It's not just the greatest hit of Jesus' life, actually. I wouldn't even say it's just the greatest hit of the Bible. This is the most pinnacle and defining moment in all of human history. It is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for some of you guys, this is going to be news. Some of y'all haven't really heard this before. I can promise you it's going to be good news. And for some of you guys, you might have heard this before. But you're not really sure, how does this relate to being a young adult in Kansas City? What does this have to do with my work? What does this have to do with my relationships, my friendships, my time off, my money? Others, you, you've grown up hearing this year after year or maybe occasionally throughout the years, but you've never really comprehended why is this good news? Why is this so important? Why do so many people talk about the fact that Jesus died and was raised again? Regardless of where you're at in the room tonight, all of us, the reason we start here with the bad news of sin and brokenness is because we have to have a way to fix both our relationship with God and the world around us. And the answer lies in the truth of Jesus' death and new life. So we're going to take a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to hop right in. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, God, humbled, God, knowing that There is bad news in the world, God, and I confess, God, 
I am a sinner. And God, every single one of us, God, apart from you, we live in sin and we've, we haven't chosen you. And God, as we look at the gravity of this story, of the death that you died, would it touch our hearts, God? Every single one of us in this room. We need you to do this, God. You promise that your word does not return purposeless. And so, God, we just ask that you would achieve whatever you want to do tonight in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so to start off, the crucifixion and the resurrection, it's found in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And tonight we're going to be looking at Luke 23 uh, for the story of his death and John 20 for the story of the resurrection. For those of you who have Bibles, you can flip to Luke 23. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can head out to the Connect table after this. We'd love to get you a Bible. If you're new, if it's your first time, we are so glad that you're here with us today. Again, stop by the Connect Center. We'd love to know that you're here with us and get you a gift on your way out. But we're going to be starting in Luke 23. And we're starting as Jesus is hung on the cross. So it's important that we get some context to set up where we're at in the story. So to paint this scene for you, uh, Jesus has had a public, public ministry for three years. He's 33 years old, and he's claimed that he is God himself. He's claimed that he is the light of the world. He's claimed that he is the bread of life. He's fed thousands, and he's done miracles, and he's even raised one of his close friends from, dead, or from, the, death, from the dead about a week before this. And now, Jesus, as we're hopping into the story, he's just spent a holiday called the Passover with his disciples. It's a Thursday night. One of his followers, Judas, has left to betray him. And Jesus leads the remaining disciples out of Jerusalem, up a small hill called the Mount of Olives. And on the way there, he teaches them. And then Jesus goes to pray. And he's distraught. And Jesus prays so hard that he starts to literally sweat drops of blood because of the anguish that he feels. And the reason of this is because he is about to willingly undergo both the most painful spiritual punishment and painful physical punishment that someone can go through. And as he's praying, he gets done, and the Jewish religious leaders appear with some soldiers and his betrayer, Judas, and his disciples abandon him, his closest friends for the past three years that run away scared. And he's taken away as prisoner early Friday morning. From there, he undergoes four trials where he's falsely accused and questioned, and he does not say a single thing to defend his innocence. Finally, Governor Pilate decides to have him crucified or he's nailed to a cross. And so he's beaten, he's spat on, and he's degraded by his captors. God himself is being spat on. He's whipped until his back is bloodied, beaten until his faith face is bruised, and a crown of thorns is shoved onto his head that digs into his skull. And Jesus is taken outside the city along with two criminals to be crucified, and that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 23, verses 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Y'all, crucifixion is one of the most painful deaths imaginable. For those of you guys who aren't aware, massive nails are driven through your wrists and hands and through your feet. And you're hung up on this cross. And since you're hanging, your diaphragm doesn't allow you to breathe. It's very painful to draw breath. 
And so anytime you want to speak or breathe, you have to pull up on the nails that are going through your wrists to allow your diaphragm to expand and let air fill your lungs. Most people who are crucified die from slow suffocation. Not the blood loss, but they die from the slow suffocation. And some people, it took multiple days of hanging there, slowly suffocating to death. And so to breathe is an incredibly painful thing. And yet Jesus chooses to speak while he's on the cross. And how does he use his words? To forgive the people who are killing him and who are gambling for his clothes. It's here that we begin to see the incredible love of Jesus. He willingly went through this. He knew that this was coming. This was not a surprise to him. And he said, yeah, I'm going to do this. There's nothing that's going to stop me. He's been falsely put to trial. He's been falsely accused, falsely condemned to death. For those of us in the room, think of a time that someone accused you for something that you didn't do. Think about the anger that that causes, the, the frustration when someone is making false accusations about you. And now imagine that you've never done anything wrong and you're still being accused. You're still being put on trial. People are coming up and telling lies about you. And you don't say anything to, to defend yourself. Jesus is praying to God the Father for the people who put him on the cross with his words. Verse 35 continues, And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. The scene becomes just even more horrific as you begin to look at this. God himself is hanging on a cross, slowly suffocating, and people are mocking him for being exactly who he is. Jesus has existed for all time as God the Son, all of eternity, he helped create the world as part of the Trinity. And he was born as a poor baby boy in a rural village in Israel, and now he's being painfully, falsely killed as a criminal because he willingly put himself through this. And people are making fun of him. People are mocking him openly to his face while he dies. Speaking of this, even one of the criminals starts to mock him. Verse 39 continues, one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him saying, are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. If we take a step back and look at it, this is a really weird interaction. I mean, think about this. Three men are hanging next to each other on the cross, slowly suffocating to death. And one of the guys sees all these religious leaders making fun of the guy in the middle, and he decides, I'm going to join in on that. I'm, I'm going to make fun of this guy. And so he starts to mock Jesus as he's also hanging, suffocating right next to him. And he chooses to spend his last hours on earth putting down God so he can build himself up. But the other thief, he's got to be acquainted of somehow with Jesus. He knows that Jesus is innocent. Maybe he knows somehow that the trial was staged. 
And he takes responsibility for his actions. He admits to the other thief, you and me, we deserve to be here. We deserve this punishment. But this man has done nothing wrong. We are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man is innocent. He looks at Jesus, and in verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It continues on in verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, that's about noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until about the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. It's pitch black outside. While the sunlights failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. There was a thick curtain that separated out the holiest place in the temple of God to keep out everyone but the high priest. God tears it in two as Jesus is dying. There's a lot to unpack there that we don't have time to cover tonight. But Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, says, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. The Gospel of John tells us that he also cried out, It is finished. And having said this, he breathed his last. And Jesus died. Now when the centurion, a Roman commander, saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect, sinless man, he dies while being mocked and tortured as a public spectacle. And this brings up the question, why? Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, why was the man who fed thousands and walked on water and healed a blind man and did miracles, and he was loving and taught peace and forgiveness, Why did God himself willingly die on a cross? And so many people have tried to answer that question. Some people will just say outright, man, he was a liar. He wasn't the son of God. He got what he deserved. Some people will say it was just an example. It was just a good thing to do to show love for other people. Other people might say he died as as a martyr to get this message of peace and, and love and forgiveness out into the world. Every single one of those reasons, it falls short or it's outright wrong. There's one man who he perfectly states why Jesus had to die, and I guarantee you, every single person in this room tonight has heard of this man who says why Jesus had to die. When he was talking about Jesus' death, he said this, We are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief on the cross gives us the answer of why Jesus had to die, and this is half of the most life-changing truth that you will ever hear in your entire life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to bring you to God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that he could bring us into the kingdom of God. Y'all, humanity, throughout our history, we have tried so many ways to deal with our sin problem. So many ways. A lot of us in this room have tried so many ways to deal with our sin problem. Maybe you relate to this. 
Maybe you try to get rid of sin by being a good person. You just think, okay, I, I, I'm just gonna do more good things than bad things. I'm gonna work hard at my job and you know, I'm gonna call my mom every once in a while then I've moved away and you know, I'm gonna treat others with kindness around me and I'm not gonna say mean things to people and that's gonna do me enough so that when I die, I can enter into God's kingdom and that's how I'm gonna deal with my sin problem. Some of us, we just blame it on God. We think, man, I don't have a sin problem. What are you talking about? Man, God, the Bible... That book is so judgmental, it's so bigoted. I don't do anything wrong, I'm a good person. God is the one to blame. Others of us, we just, we try to cover it up. And I just, man, whatever I can do to drown out the fear of eternity, knowing that one day I'm gonna die, so I'm just gonna work hard enough in my job and try to drown out the fear of eternity or I'm just gonna live up the party life, or I'm just gonna go to power and light every weekend, and maybe that will distract me and keep me focused on the here and now so I don't have to think about what happens when I die because I don't wanna deal with my sin problem. And we try to ignore it, and we just hope God's kingdom never comes, but it will. I'm telling you guys, right now, every single one of us will face judgment before God, and God is a just God. He has to be. God has to be a just judge. At the beginning of the night, we talked about how the wages of sin is death, and if God is perfect, then to tolerate evil makes him imperfect, and there's got to be a, a wage or a payout of sin, and sin deserves the punishment of death, and, and this sounds, sounds tough at first, right? I don't, I don't think the things that I have done are deserving of death. But can you imagine living in a world where evil, where evil goes unpunished? Imagine this. Imagine someone murders one of your family members, and they get to walk free. There's nothing that happens to them. They walk out of your house and live the rest of their life. Can you imagine someone comes and they steal all your things, and the police find them and nothing happens. And they just get to go on their way. Every single one of us wants sin in some form to be punished. We just don't want our sin to be punished most of the time. I don't think that the things that I've done are as bad as the other people around me. So I want them to be judged but I don't want judgment for me. But our sin has led to brokenness and it deserves punishment. Our anger has hurt people. Our sexual immorality has broken other people's lives. Our greed has stolen things from other people. Our pride has set ourselves up against a holy God. And if you sin against a perfect God, any amount of sin deserves punishment. And so what do we do? Because I don't want to face the consequences of my actions. We try to cover up and deal with our sin. When I was in college, I had this uh, white and blue blazer. You can check it out there. That's a great picture. I need to take a drink of water. Bow ties were big. I was in a fraternity, if you can't tell. 
That's a joke, you can laugh. And I love this blue and white checkered blazer. I thought it was the coolest thing around. And um, I would wear this thing to everything, right? Fraternity formals, sorority functions, anything I could wear my blazer to, I was gonna wear my blazer. I love the way it fits. I love the length, I love the look. I just thought, man, this is my favorite blazer ever. So naturally, I put a huge stain on it. Just a massive coffee stain. I don't even drink coffee and I spilled coffee on myself. It was tragic. It was absolutely devastating. And I tried everything to get this stain out. I tried Tide pens, I tried dry cleaning, water. I don't really know what else gets stains out. And so I did what every good guy would do in this situation. I kept it and stuck it in my closet so that I could relive my glory days every single time I saw it. And then I would just ignore it. And I would see it occasionally. And I would get excited to wear it. And I'd think, oh yeah, my blazer. And then I would see the stain. And I would put it back and I would ignore it for another year. But I kept it hoping sometime when I look at it, the stain will go away. If I just ignore it enough, the stain will go away. This is how some of us have been living our whole life in regards to Jesus and his kingdom and our sin. You like the idea of Jesus, right? You like the idea of eternal life. I want to know God. I think that's some good stuff. But you've got a stain. And that stain is sin And you try to get it out. You've tried everything. You ignore it. Sometimes you openly try to reason, hey, this stain isn't that bad. Sin is not that big a deal. I can just go out and I'm going to wear it confidently. And maybe if everyone just accepts that this stain is okay, then my problems will go away. Every single attempt to deal with sin will fall short. Every single attempt. But listen to this. Do not miss this right here. You cannot fix your sin, but Jesus died on the cross so you don't have to pay for your sin. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You can't pay for your sin, but you don't have to. All you have to do is admit like the thief that you are a sinner and you ask Jesus, save me. And this is so important that we see that our sin can be forgiven through Jesus. First of all, you need to know this because you need to know that God loves you. Every single one of us in the room need to know what Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you had the big stain on, While you were living in rebellion to God, while you were out there doing the thing that you think of right now that you are more ashamed of than anything else, God loved you then. And Jesus was thinking of that as he died on the cross. He's a just judge, but he is also a loving God. And he created a way for sin to be paid for through Jesus so that you could find healing and forgiveness from sins. And it's so important that we see that Jesus forgives sins because it means your sin does not have to define you anymore. Do you guys know that? Your sin does not have to define you. I I talk to so many young adults, believers or non-believers, they are torn up about sin in their life. 
And it's the things that they did, whether it was yesterday or last week, 20 years ago, they still carry it around in them. Jesus died on the cross so that you can die to sin. Sin does not have to define you anymore. When you look at yourself, you can see Jesus' forgiveness instead of your stain, instead of your sin, your brokenness. You can look at that and you can see the cross. There's new life in Jesus. And it's so important that we see that there's new life. And that brings us to the second half of the story. We've looked at the bad news. We've looked at the heavy news that we all deserve death, but Jesus died for us. And the first half was heavy, right? But this is when the narrative shifts. This is when it starts getting exciting. There's bad news, but now we start to see the fullness of the good news. Check this out. So Jesus has been buried in the tomb by some faithful men and women, and soldiers are placed to guard that tomb so the disciples don't come in and break in. Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath goes by. Everyone is just resting. And the women come early Sunday morning to properly dress Jesus' body. And this is where we pick up in John 20. I love this. Starts off in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's the apostle John, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So she runs out and she goes and finds Peter and John says, hey, you have to check this out. Something has happened to Jesus' body. I don't know where it is. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. Which I, I love, just, John wrote this and he's like, I need you guys to know I beat Peter. Like, I, I need you to know I beat him. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, again, he's like, you gotta know, I reached the tomb first. He also went in and he saw and believed. For as of yet they did not understand the scripture that he might rise from the, or that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Peter and John, they check this out. They see all of Jesus' burial cloths. They're folded up. This is clearly not some smash and grab job. No one came in and stole Jesus' body quickly. This was done very intentionally and purposefully. And then they go home because they don't understand what's going on. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Guys, Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. That is good news. Do not miss this block, Kansas City. Jesus is standing outside the grave. People do not come back to life. No one that we know has come back from the being dead three days. But yet here is Jesus standing outside the tomb. If you have never heard this before, or if you've heard this a thousand times, I pray this never becomes commonplace. Jesus Christ has defe defeated death and sin. 
The grave literally could not hold Jesus. The punishment that was made for us could not stop Jesus' life. That's how powerful God is. And because Jesus is alive, not only has the punishment of sin been paid for, but there's now life available to you and to me. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good news, y'all. This is good news. And it gets better as the story continues. Mary is standing in the garden with Jesus, and we have to give her a break because she's having a tough time. Like, she is distraught. If you didn't know this about Mary, she was a woman who had lived in prostitution and demonic possession until Jesus had come to save and heal her. So she has had an awful life. But her life was changed by Jesus. And she thought that that man who rescued her from her sin and slavery, she thought that man was still dead. And she doesn't recognize Jesus. She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. And then she runs up and she clings to Jesus. But Jesus says, Don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Y'all think about this. Jesus chose to appear to Mary first. He could have appeared to Peter or John. He could have gone and appeared before the governor Pilate or before the, the Jewish religious leaders and told them, hey, look, I was telling the truth. And in fact, in those days, women did not really have much credibility. And so if Jesus is trying to get the word out that he's alive, the first choice in the world standards was not Mary Magdalene. It was not a woman, and it was definitely not a former demon-possessed prostitute. But you know what? That does not matter to Jesus. He doesn't care. How does he see her? He sees her as Mary. He sees her as someone that he's loved and saved. And because she has been healed healed and has been given a new life, I think this beautifully illustrates the second half of the truth of the resurrection. Jesus invites us to have new life as witnesses to his life. Block KC, do you know that there is new life in Jesus Christ? Like, do you know that? Do you know that not only has God offered you forgiveness of sin through his son's death, But God has offered you a new start and a permanently clean slate through his son's life. Every single time that you do something at work that you're not proud of, Jesus says, I paid for it. Every single time that you do something, that you speak to your roommates unkindly, or every single time that you get angry at someone, every single time that you're bitter or selfish, Jesus says, I paid for that. I wiped that away. The resurrection of the dead is foundational to what we believe as Christians. The Apostle Paul actually says that if Jesus' resurrection did not happen, the entire Christian life is meaningless, and we should be pitied. 
The fact that Jesus is alive and not dead is foundational to everything you find in the Bible. Every single thing is touched by this. And if this didn't happen, then we shouldn't be here. The block should not exist. We should not spend our time trying to get to know a God who's dead. Why would we? But Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. And he did rise again and not only brings us into his kingdom with forgiveness of sins, but he wants to use you as a witness to his new life. No matter who you are, no matter if you were someone like Mary Magdalene, no matter how bad you think you were, Jesus says, I'm going to wipe that away. I'm going to give you a fresh start and I'm going to give you a new life and I want you to go tell people. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The sin that once separated us from God, it's not only paid for, but that sinner is gone. That person does not exist anymore. Do you guys know that God does not see you as that person? He does not see you as the person, if you're in Christ, that you once were. He sees you as a new creation. It means you're made new. And he begins to change and empower you to put to death the old sinful self and fight sin and experience life change and tell people about this and celebrate Jesus' life and use us as an example to show the world that there is forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. If you're in the room tonight and you've got a past that's full of sin, whether you think it's major in the world's eyes or maybe it's one small thing that you can think of that you know you need forgiveness of sins from, do you know that Jesus offers you a fresh start? Do you know that when you sin now, if you are following Christ, it's not you, it's the old self? Do you know that? Do you know that if you have faith in Jesus, you are free to live differently and your life will change? There will be transformation because you are a new creation if you're in Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to tell you there's new life for you. There's new life and forgiveness of sins and payment for our, de- our sin. You can have a restored relationship with God and you can have eternal life and a new self. And you don't have to live in guilt and shame anymore. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, you don't have to live in sin anymore either. Can I just tell you guys, that is not how God sees you anymore. Please do not see yourself as you once were. Don't see yourself as the sin that Jesus has already paid for. God has made you new through new life in Jesus. Do not reject the identity that God has given you. Christ's new life is your new life. And there is so much here that we could unpack. In fact, this is the very basis of the entire Bible. So if we really wanted to unpack how this all plays out, it would take our entire lives to grow and understand a portion of this truth, just a small fraction. But here at The Block, we're all about helping young adults build their life on what counts. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about things that are specific to living as a young adult, and we're going to talk about how do we navigate new life in Christ specifically in our jobs and in our relationships and in the world around us. But, but tonight, I just I want everyone to focus on what God is saying to us through this story. 
Jesus died on the cross for our sins to bring us to God and invites us to have new life as witnesses to his life. This is the most foundational truth that we could ever know. And, I, and I'm going to do, as we close, uh, I never do this. I'm, I always try to have a list of action steps to make it practical. We're not going to do that today. We're not going to have a list of actions or things that we should go out and do. Instead, what everyone can walk away in the room with is this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that statement right there? Because John closes the chapter, John 20, with these words. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Guys, if you were in the room tonight and you were a believer in Jesus, you believe this, all you need to do walking away from God's word tonight is just praise God that you have new life. Praise God that you have new life. Think about the person that you once were and realize that person is dead and gone and has been buried with Jesus. And you rose out of that grave with him. If you believe this, it will change everything. It's not an intellectual belief. It's belief in here, believing that I know that this is true. And it changes us. Praise God that you have new life and forgiveness of sin. But then there, there's some of you in the room tonight who do not believe in Jesus. And maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe this is new for you. But I just want to ask, do you believe that this is true? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and that there's new life in him. This is the most foundational, important decision that you will ever make to follow Jesus. And so I'm gonna pray and, and the band is gonna come up and they're gonna sing more worship songs, but I just wanna encourage you guys, as, as we're praying, as we're closing, if that's you and you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, make that decision tonight. Do not wait. And you don't have to know all the answers and all the side things you can ask if you're curious. But there's new life in Jesus. And you can have eternal life and forgiveness of sins because he died for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that, God, would this just wow me every single time? God, I never want a day to go by that I don't think about the fact that you died for me. God, and you died in my place. God, and I pray that that would just daily humble every single one of us. And would we just, as we worship God, would we praise you that we have new life. God, please never let this become something that's too basic, too elementary. God, all we have is the cross. All we have is your new life. And God, I pray that every single time we hear this story, would we be reminded of that? And God, for those who are in the room tonight, God, please draw them to you. You have to do this, God. You have already done all the work. You were the one who came to us. We didn't do anything to get to you. You came and you, were, you died, you were tortured. I don't know why you love us so much, but you do. And so, God, we just trust that for those 
who are in the room who have not made the decision, God, would they begin to see with a new heart and new eyes for the first time because your spirit transforms them. God, and empower that person. God, help them to know right now they want to follow you. And God, help them to be okay with not having all the answers and having questions and concerns and just knowing that you're a welcoming God. And just like the thief, you can promise today we'll be with you in paradise. We love you. We pray all this through your son's name, Jesus.